Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homers and Podcast, part of uh, the uh, Crimson and Cream Machine podcasting group, uh, mm-hmm. part of the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Iowa State Cyclones today with uh, Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light, a longtime uh, Iowa State blog that uh, I've always enjoyed reading. They always get up to uh, really, really funny stuff over there and uh, you know, have a good handle on what's up with the Cyclones. So let's go ahead. Welcome, uh, Levi, on. Levi, how you doing? Not too bad. Just uh, going to get ready to do it. Hold on. Ah, crack open today. It's cold. Actually, this is a Natter Days. So. Oh, nice, nice. So, uh, which flavor? And which flavor is that one? It's it's pink lemonade. Ah, it's delicious. Quite tasty. This is ah, there it's it really is. underrated, honestly. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's uh been quite a nice little uh, addition there to the Natural Light family. So, Absolutely. it's a great summer drink. Yeah, per- perfect, perfect. So. Awesome. Well, tell me, man, what's it like? Uh, this has got to be feel kind of new for an Iowa State fan, uh, you know, uh, with uh, the Cyclones being picked third, uh, you know, in the preseason uh, Big 12 media poll. Uh, got to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a kind of a different experience for you. It's a this is. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's uncharted territory for us a little bit because uh, we're used to being picked like third last. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and now I think even was it last year even they were picked seventh or something like that. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's uncharted territory, but I think we're uh, we're ready for it. I think. Yeah, you know, uh, I said uh, you know watching really uh, Iowa State in the first season there under Matt Campbell, um, you know, I could tell right away actually that I felt felt like they were going to be vastly improved under him. Uh, you know, they they just. They played hard. They were really kind of uh, well organized and everything. I mean, if you had to though, like, yeah, pick one thing that you'd say was has been the key to really kind of, you know, putting Iowa State into that next kind of tier, what would it be? Uh, it, it all starts with, as Matt Campbell would tell you too. It all starts with player driven leadership and program culture. Um, before before he came in. There were some talented guys on the roster, but there were also a lot of bad apples on there that they were just toxic to program culture. They had terrible work habits. They um, they they basically they worked against everything that a program needs from a culture perspective to be successful. Um, and now he's been recruiting. You know, he he found leaders on the team when he got there, like Joel Landing and like Kyle Kemp. Uh, he found those guys, and then he. And then, and then he recruited leaders like Dave Montgomery, like Ray Lima, uh, guys that are that were program culture changers, basically. So then you had, uh, you know, as the as the legend goes, basically, it was after the first after Matt Campbell's excuse me, beer burp mm-hmm. after uh, after uh, Matt Campbell's first season in January, uh, the January following that season, as the legend goes, anyways, they were the coaching staff was in there getting ready to kind of pack up for the day and 
they noticed somebody running around in the in the uh, practice facility and it was dave montgomery out there by himself running doing drills and stuff like that and they saw him doing that and they're like damn this guy's really impressive and then you know a couple days later some more guys are with him and then more guys are with him more guys are with him suddenly you had the entire team out there doing drills or in the weight room or whatever on you know at two in the morning between you know, between you know saturday you know early saturday morning basically instead of going out these guys started lifting and doing drills and watching film and all this and doing all of the extra stuff that you need to be a successful fo- football program um and that's that's been the biggest that's been the biggest thing so far is, is that player driven leadership and and the change in culture because there's always been i would say it's had talent on both sides of the ball we've had you know, we've had some we've had good running backs we've had good receivers we've had lots and lots of good linebackers some good corners safeties defensive linemen we've had all of that um but you know it just it never all quite came together because that culture just wasn't there that culture of doing the extra stuff that you need to be successful you know in every game and not just a few games a year right now one of the guys you just mentioned there david montgomery uh is a you know big loss this year he was a really kind of a slippery back but also a physical runner really kind of helped set the tone for their offense last season uh how do you feel about their ability to you know kind of make up what they lost there with montgomery uh, i feel really good about it actually because you, there's five running backs in the room right now sheldon crony kennedy wangu johnny lang uh, and two red uh, two true freshmen uh Jarrell brock and Brees hall uh, who both actually were from up until like the last ratings adjustment were both top 10 running backs um, in their class. Both very talented guys. And they're all a little bit different. Sheldon Crony's a good physical runner, good one cut back. Uh, Kennedy Wongu is extraordinarily fast. He, and he's, he's a, he's a, he's a kick, tur- kick return. He was a second team, all big 12 kick return last year after he blew his Achilles. And he was a first team, all, uh, all kick, all team kick re- or first team, all big 12 kick returner uh, his freshman year. Uh, really fast guy can catch it out of the backfield. Johnny Lang can do a little bit of everything. He's a little bit smaller, but he can do pretty much everything. Uh, Jarrell Brock and Brees Hall are both a little, they're both taller, more physical running backs that can, they can catch the ball out of the backfield. They can run people over. They can get around people. Uh, Brees Hall especially has a lot of breakaway speed. When he starts striding out, he can really take off. Um, so from a talent and skill and skill perspective, yeah, I'm not, I honestly, I'm not really expecting any drop off. Um, they have they have the talent to make up what David what what they lose in David because um, what David was really good at was he was turned good at turning nothing into something and something into a lot um, which is what I mean that's what that's what good running backs do uh, but David did it better than most and he had to because Iowa State's offensive line was not good in 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 run block uh, so he would find himself taking on defensive ends and linebackers at the line of scrimmage I mean I think. For his career, he averaged just over four yards a carry, which is you know nothing to brag about. But on average, he averaged like three yards after contact. So I mean, he was basically getting hit at the line of scrimmage every single carry, and he gained like eighty percent of his total yards or more after contact, uh, which is incredible. It's an, it's an absurd stat. Um, so this year, the offensive line. It's projected to be quite a bit better. They've got everybody back. They showed a lot of improvement uh, towards the end of last season. And actually, in the Alamo Bowl, if you, you know, I, you can't really say that you can. If you do get rid of the, all the false start penalties they had, they actually they ran over Washington State's defensive line, which the Washington State had a good defense last year. Um, they they bowled them over. Iowa State had like 150 more yards than them, and, and against a team that's known for putting up yards. Um, the offense was working good that game. The, the offensive line was getting push for the running backs. 
it was all working fairly well. Just the, the penalties ended up killing them. So you get everybody back. They can hopefully iron out those penalties. And if they can, if they can pick up where they left off at the, at the Elmo bowl, the running back should get more space than David ever got. Um, and I, this is, this will be a good hot take for you, but I would argue that guys like Brees Hall and Kennedy Wongu are, are actually probably better equipped to, to take advantage of that extra space. Cause they have a little bit more top end speed than David did. Um, Dave was really good at doing, he was, he was everything that Iowa State needed when he was there. He was what they needed when they needed it. Now they don't, they may not necessarily need a guy that can break a hundred tackles every play and hopefully turn zero yards into six or 10 or whatever. Now they need a guy that can hopefully turn a couple yards of space into 10 to 15 yards. And they have guys now like Brees Hall and Kennedy Wongu and Jarrell Brock and, and Johnny Lang that are, cap- that are probably more capable of doing that than David was. Right. Talking with uh, Levi Stevenson of Wide Ride Natty Light. So I guess, Levi, looking at that uh, breakdown, is Brock going to be the guy you feel like that eventually by the end of the season kind of steps in to fill that feature back role or will be Nwongo? Who do you think is going to be? If I was a betting man, I would say that by the time, you know, by the time Iowa State goes down to Norman, it would not shock me if Brees Hall was the starter. Oh, okay. uh, Darrell Brock was actually the higher rated recruit, but... Brees Hall was here in the spring. Jarrell Brock was not. Um, there was lots of good reviews that came out of Brees Hall uh, for the spring that he showed out really well. So he was a really smart player. Had you know they, he's, he's quick. He's tall. He's physical. Um, so I would say, just just because of the head start that Brees got on Jarrell, if if one of those two was going to start, I would guess it'd probably be Brees Hall because he'll probably get more carries early on because he'll be ready for it. Um, but I, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if Jarrell Brock ends up as a starter by then. But if I was just going to have to put my money down on one guy, I would say Brees Hall probably ends up being the starter by the end of the season. But but the great part about the Iowa State running back situation is that it's totally different than it's been in the past because we've had this whole running back by committee thing before, and it was all because we had five terrible running backs <laughs> and we yeah. had to figure out which one was the least bad. Uh, but now we have five good running backs, and I mean any of them. If they started, you'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like, no, n- there isn't a single one of those five that anybody would con- that anybody would contend at all. Now, if like Sheldon Crony started, who was kind of a you know he's been a backup for most of his career, got you know, has played fairly well when he has played, but he hasn't you know gotten a ton of carries just because partially because there's been a lot of talent in front of him. Um, but you know, just so if someone if if Sheldon Crony starts, it's probably because he's just really improved because there's a lot of there's a lot of talent behind him. Um, and we've heard a lot of good things about everybody else. So if, even if Sheldon Crony starts, you still feel good about it because that means he's probably earned that spot. And Matt Campbell is pretty – he's you know, he, he's made it well known that he will not play anybody before they're ready. Um, if Sheldon Crony wasn't ready to play, he wouldn't play. Right. So, you know, another big uh, loss, though, I feel like this year is Akeem Butler, and he might be a, even a little bit harder, I think, to uh, – you know, kind of replaced just because of the physicality he brought to the position, his size. I mean, everybody saw what he did to Oklahoma nope. last year. But, uh, you know, how do you make up for hit that loss? So that one will another be another one. It'll be sort of by committee, but it'll be it, part of the load will also be moved to the tight ends because Iowa State's got actually got a lot of good tight ends right now. They've got three of them that you would be comfortable with being your, your first your first option. Uh, Charlie Kohler. Uh, Dylan Saner and, and Chase Allen. Um, uh, Dylan Saner will probably be he'll probably be takeovers for Sam Seam Buckner's 
uh, role in in the H back slot where he'll be largely kind of a a blocking back with you know he'll occasionally slip out for screens and stuff like that sometimes but mostly be used as a blocker but uh charlie kohler last season had a few touchdowns which was the first time that i was state an iowa state tight end had caught a touchdown pass since ej bibbs i think in 2014 or 15 uh, it's been it'd been a long time since a tight end caught a touchdown pass um they both show lots and lots of promise i know they're planning on using them all over the field maybe multiple multiple tight ends at a time um, they're all, I mean, they're all six, six, I think they might all be six, seven or taller. Um, I think, I think Chase Allen is the shortest one, like six, six and a half. I mean, so they're all big physical dudes that can really catch and they can end and they're good route runners. Um, and it'll be a little bit different at the receiver spot than we're used to seeing. Cause we've had Alan Lazard and Hakeem Butler for, you know, five years, basically. Um, so it'll be a little bit different that we're not seeing a huge, like, really physically imposing receiver out there. Uh, at least at least right away, I should say, because, uh, you know, the receiving corpus will definitely be led by Tyreek or sorry, by Tariq Milton and Deshante Jones, um, both ex- excellent route runners. They're quicker. You know, they're they're quick. Ty- um, they're both very good route runners. They're good at finding space. Uh, Tariq Milton has lots of top end speed where he can be a vertical threat. He'll probably you know, he could he can line up in the slot and they will do that at times. Um, but he has all the speed and, and ability in the world that he can play that outside X receiver spot, too. Um, so those two will be the main leaders, but then you have guys like Joe Skates, who was a who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He, which, you know, for Oklahoma that might not be a big deal, but for Iowa State that's a big deal. Um, he's 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 Iowa State's second highest-rated uh, receiver that they've ever gotten after Alan Lazard. Um, he's a he's a really talented really talented player. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he could he could jump up. We've seen uh, Landon Acres made made a few nice catches last year. He's got lots of speed to burn. Um, if you're looking for another like the next tall Iowa State receiver, Sean Shaw, out of uh, out of Oklahoma, he's uh, he's all of six seven, I would say, or he's all of six six for sure, probably a little bit closer to six seven. So he's actually, I think he's a little bit taller than Hakeem Butler was. Um, so he's and he and we've been hearing lots of great things uh, about him out of uh, out of spring practice and out of, out of summer workouts and things like that. Um, so you know, that's he certainly could step up and you know. We, maybe we just fill that role one for one. Um, but the great part is that they'll, they'll spread it around a little bit more because, you know, it, when part of it goes back to the quarterback situation too because last season you go into the season with Kyle Kemp as your projected starter, uh, which you totally feel comfortable with him running, you know, pretty much all of the offense. He's yeah. he a smart guy, doesn't make any mistakes, uh, but then goes down like in the first series against Iowa. And then you immediately have to turn to Zeb Noland, who has you know been in the system for a while, but you know he's he's somewhat limited as a quarterback. And then he plays okay for a little bit, and then doesn't play very. You know, actually played pretty good against Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, but then really really struggled against TCU. And then you know after that he gets benched for Brock Purdy, who Brock Purdy comes in, lights the world on fire against Oklahoma State, and, and really plays plays really well uh, for the rest of the season. Um, but He's a freshman, so you you can't really you can't really turn him loose. You have to keep the playbook somewhat simple, so that in with simpler concepts, so that he can still be effective and he can still be in a position to succeed. Uh, but there isn't there isn't too much on his plate, so they had to really really cut down the playbook for him last year. And you know, a really good when your when your playbook is small and you need a first down or you need a big play, what's a really good play? throw it to Hakeem. Yeah. 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 You, you send Hakeem 30 yards downfield and you throw it within 10 yards of him and he'll probably come down with it. And that was a really good, it was just a really nice thing to have in the bag. 
because you know it was a good if Brock Purdy needed a place to go with the ball, he just threw it to Hakeem and it was no big deal. Not to say that that's like the limit of his skill set, um, but that was where he was limited with his playbook. And I mean, if you have a weapon like that, you might as well use it. Um, so, you know, while like la- while last year a huge portion of the re- total receiving yards went to Hakeem, and that was part that was mostly because it was partly out of necessity because. Uh, you know, because you have a young quarterback that just needs a big target to throw to. That's a simple read. Um, and just because he's Hakeem, he's so good. that You you, you just want to get him the ball as much as you can. Uh, but there's plenty of other capable receivers on the roster this year. The The receiver room is probably deeper this year than it was last year. It's just it's just really young. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a having Brock Purdy back where now he'll have a full playbook to work with. And he's a lot more flexible than Kyle Kemp is because he's a much, much better runner. Uh, where he's actually a dangerous runner. He's not just like an effective scramble runner. I mean, you can call runs for Brock Purdy, um, and he'll and he'll get you yardage. Um, so you have a significantly expanded playbook. You have playmakers at tight end. You have lots of playmakers at receiver that are good at getting open. You have guys out of the running back spot uh, that can that can catch out of the backfield. Like Kanae Wangu and Johnny Lang, you'll probably see them line up even at on, in the slot at times. Um, so he's got weapons all over the field. If you know, if the offensive line can help him a little bit, I think uh, Brock Purdy can be successful, and that means the receivers are successful. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Right. Now, Purdy was a pretty big surprise, I think, last year when it came to uh, the rest of the Big 12. Looking at this season, you know, I know you mentioned that they want to, you know, kind of expand the playbook with him, but what would you say are the things that, uh, or, or if you had to pick, I guess, maybe let's say one thing that he could do better this year than last year that, you know, or where you expect to see improvement, what would it be? Uh, the main thing I expect to see improvement on really is, uh, is just decision making because there was a times last year, you know, for as good as Brock Purdy was, which was literally by you know by efficiency rating, he was actually the sixth best quarterback in the country last year. He had the mm-hmm. sixth, he had the sixth best quarterback rating in the country, and better like kind of a healthy margin better than the second best freshman, which was Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's even he was even a little bit better. He was quite a bit better than Trevor Lawrence. Um, so what I'm looking for, but but what you still did see though is you saw you saw some of those freshman mistakes where he would might stare down a receiver, or he threw uh, you know like in the Alamo Bowl he kind of stared down Hakeem, um, and in the uh, corner jumped the curl route and and took it back to uh, mm-hmm. took it back to six you know stuff like that where that's that's something that you kind of expect a freshman to make those plays because they're not used to seeing corners that are maybe that quite that athletic or that they're it's just a different read than he's maybe used to. Um, watching game film, and I, I would expect to see him make fewer mistakes uh, you know, on a per-game basis, I guess. Um, that that would be really the biggest decision, uh, you know, or the biggest improvement that I guess he can make is just is just his decision-making um, and avoiding those silly mistakes. You know, every quarterback's going to throw interceptions. Tom Brady throws interceptions. Um one thing that Brock does really well already and that what's allowed him to be so successful is that 
he's really good. If he does throw an interception, he doesn't it, he doesn't get down about it. He just moves on and he just he just goes and he just does his thing. He's he's not like Kyle Kemp where he's just basically a robot. But uh, you know mm-hmm. if if Brock Purdy throws an interception, he learns from it. He doesn't get down. He just learns from it. When he's you know when things are great, he's you know he's smiling. He's having fun. You can tell the guy has fun too, which is which I think is kind of an underrated thing. He's got. I, I, I kind of hate to make this comparison because I'm not, I'm not compar- comparing him as an overall talent or as a player, but he kind of has a little bit of a Baker Mayfield type attitude mm-hmm. with he's he's a, he's a maybe a more palatable version of Baker. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I, like I'm, it's not it's not a knock on Baker. No, no, I'm, no, no. I got you. I, yeah, I love watching Baker, but you know he does he does he's a, he can be abrasive at times. Um, Brock Purdy is is the he's he's a he's the he's, he has the confidence that Baker Mayfield did or does um, without being maybe quite so abrasive at times, basically is where you're at with it, which is, that's a perfect middle ground for me where he's not, he's not making, you know, making controversial statements. He's not making headlines, doing things he's not supposed to be doing, but he's got all the confidence that you want your quarterback to have. Um, So he's already got a base. He's already got a base uh, in in those intangibles that you expect to see out of a senior. And he's, he had that as a freshman. So um, it's really, it's really about reps. It's about watching game film, just cutting down on the silly mistakes. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the other side of the ball. This is a really intriguing unit. Obviously, uh, you know they're kind of setting the standard right now for how teams try to uh, defend the spread and slow down the spread there in uh, Big Twelve country. Um, if you had to like say what your biggest concern overall about Iowa State's defense is, what would it be? Because I can't imagine there are a lot. Uh, no, the concerns are pretty minimal. I would say if there is a concern, I, I suppose it's that, uh, you graduated, uh, Brian Peavy and Deandre Payne as corners, which are both, they were both, uh, really, ex- Ooh, excuse me, really experienced. And, um, uh, I mean, Brian Peavy for all intents and purposes was, you know, he was statistically like the best corner in the country, um, as far as locking down his receivers. Uh, so losing that experience, uh, you know, that would be somewhat worrisome. Now we've got two guys behind him, Detroit Young and Anthony Johnson, that both played a ton of snaps last year as freshmen. Um, and everybody has all the confidence in the world in those two. They're both plenty. They're both, they're both probably more physically gifted than Brian Peavy and DeAndre Payne were. Um, so their ceiling is higher. And I, I mean, they, they played well last year and I don't, I don't have any doubts in them that they'll be fine. Um, but I suppose if there was any concern, it would probably be that. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, how good do you think that this defensive line can be? I mean, uh, I look at it, and to me, you know, for all the talk about how good uh, Iowa State has been at safety or, or even linebacker, which is true, the defensive line kind of makes it work. Yeah, well, that 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 three man front uh, still being, you know, still hope, being one of the best run stopping units in the country as a three man front is pretty impressive, and um, it's it really it, it all revolves around Ray Lima, who. Mm-hmm continues to be he's finally starting to get some recognition he's so he's showing up on some watch lists and stuff like that but he's still he's still wildly underrated on a national level for what as far as what he does because he totally anchors that defense the defensive line and the defense as a whole um because he basically he eats up two offensive linemen no matter what period mm-hmm. he just he eats up two linemen every single play which creates which then allows iowa state to create numbers advantages um, whether it's whether it's blitzers off the edge or you have safeties coming down, like whether it's Isworth or Braxton Lewis uh, coming down as safety as blitzers from the safety spot, you know and that and that creates some serious havoc uh, 
for for the offense to, to account for and we saw it against West Virginia will Greer had a really tough time dealing mm-hmm. with that would dealing there what they weren't bringing a lot of blitzers you know they maybe brought five a couple times but most of the time they were bringing only three or four people uh, but, but will Greer had a, a really tough time with it because Ray Lehman was eaten up two or sometimes even three offensive linemen in the middle of that in the middle of that formation then you have free you have free blitzers running from the safety spot um, they sacked him seven times that game Um and it really does all start with Ray Lehman. Then you know, next to him, he's got Jaquan Bailey, who the next the next time he touches a quarterback, he will break the school record in all-time sacks. Um, he's he's the best defensive lineman we've ever had, uh, and he'll be. I mean, he'll be an NFL pick. Uh, he's he's the he's the best define he, in my mind, and I guess a lot of people think so as well. That he's the best defensive lineman in the Big Twelve Conference. Um, he's, he's gotten better every single year he's been in an Iowa state uniform and he's going to continue to get better, especially as he, uh, cause it, part of his problem was that he was, he's, he was always really athletic and a really aggressive pass rusher. And, but sometimes he would over pursue and sometimes he would lose his gap assignments on run mm-hmm. on, on runs and things like that, which is sometimes, you know, that's young defensive ends do that. Um, but he's matured significantly. Now he doesn't blow gap assignments on running plays and he's really good about not over pursuing a quarterback and giving up scramble lanes and things like that he's a really really high level pass rusher now and and run stopper now um and then across from him you got Anio Wazirike who a lot of I mean a lot of the coaches think that he's probably got a higher ceiling than Jaquan does they think he's probably going to end up being better um he's an he's an immensely talented uh player and it was kind of too bad that he got taken out of the out of the Alamo Bowl when he did because he was having a really good game and he could have really helped uh, uh, keep he, he could have helped Gardner Minshew uh, or help protect from Gardner Minshew kind of doing what he did there in the second half. Um, so you you've got a defensive line and then behind those three you've got another set of three Jamal Johnson who's a, probably actually a better pass rusher than Ray, Ray Lima is Ray Lima is a better run stopper Jamal Johnson's probably a better pass rusher. You've got you know you got a couple really talented young guys. You got like Zach Peterson and Matt Leo, uh, who Oklahoma recruited as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you got some really talented masters. It's a really deep unit. Um, I think it was last I think it was last year. It was three or four games in a row uh, that twenty four different people made a tackle in the in a game. Wow. So I mean they're just the defense is crazy deep everywhere. Yeah. It's good talent. Um, so you you only have to have. Ray Lima playing half the snaps in the game because and he can rest and be ready to go because you don't you're you're okay if Jamal Johnson's in the game you're not losing anything, um and that defensive line really anchors the whole thing because they they're excellent in in their gap assignments they're excellent in rushing the passer so that you can only you only have to bring three or four people and you can get a pretty good pass rush, and especially if the guy if the guy can't scramble, um then you're in you're in really good shape. Right, right. So, you know, looking, I guess, overall at this team and, and looking ahead of the season, what would you say would be, you know, a good year? What, you know, an expectations or a good year for uh, the Cyclones as, as a whole? So I think, I, I, I mean, a good year, I think, is, is people will be happy with 8-4. and four. Um, You know, because, you know, at, at Baylor is going to be a tough game. Oklahoma is obviously tough. Texas is going to be – it's at Texas at home, but it's still Texas. They're still going to be a, a decent team. You know, Oklahoma State could surprise people. Te- you know, who knows where TCU is going to be. If they get their quarterback situation figured out, they could be good. The Iowa game is always tough. You know, so there's there's some, I mean, there's some potential pitfalls in that schedule, um, especially if they start uh, – well, and at Texas Tech, I suppose it could be a trap game in there as well. Um, so there's some places where that, you know, they'll, they'll play a lot of tough games this year. So, uh, you know, 
nobody's going to be upset if they lose to Texas and Oklahoma and Baylor. Like nobody's, and even if they lose to Iowa too, and end up eight and four, I don't think anybody's going to be upset about that year. That's probably another Alamo Bowl, which everyone's totally fine with. Um, I think if people will feel if if they go nine and three this year, or or even better, or even if they go ten and two, uh, nine and three or ten and two, I think at that point now you're, I mean. We're feeling really good then. I mean, that's that is a confirmation that I was that it, you know these past two seasons haven't been, you know, the product of having a really talented running back and a really talented receiver uh, leading the team. You know, it's now it's the defense is here to stay because they've got talent. And the best part is that a lot of it's coming back next year too. Mm-hmm. You're, you're losing Ray Liam and Jaquan Bailey, but at, you know, there's like I said, there's talent behind them. Um, you know, the defense is going to continue to be good in the future. Uh, they've got lots of talent everywhere, and uh, most of the offense will be back too. You'll lose a few. You'll lose a few linemen, but you're going to keep basically all of your receivers. You're going to keep Brock Purdy. You'll have almost all of your running backs back. Um, so, you know, if they if they go something like nine and three or ten and two, then all of a sudden expectations for 2020 start. I mean, then then we're now we're talking about having real conversations about being in playoff contention. You know, mm. from the from the beginning. Right, right, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's definitely a lot of promise on that roster going right, forward. For yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, Greg, I mean, Greg Eisworth is probably the best safety in the conference. I, I would argue. Now that's being maybe a homer pick, but yeah, I think he's the best safety in the conference, and he's probably top five in college football. And I mean, he's only a junior, yeah. so he'll, right. I mean, he'll be. I mean, and he's an he's an enormous asset too, because now he's he's good enough at what he does that they're they've actually moved him to the star role. He's not actually a, a true safety anymore. They moved him to what we we call the star role. It's kind of that roving safety in the middle of that in mm-hmm. the middle of that two six three three five type of thing, where he'll they'll he'll sometimes he'll function as as basically another linebacker, or sometimes he'll function as a safety or even a corner at times, um, just because he's he's just that good, and you just need to give him flexibility to do what he can do. Um, he's unbelievable. He's I mean he's he exceeded everybody's expectations even last year, and we knew he we knew he would be good. Uh, but I think he exceeded everybody's expectations last year. Um, and he's he's like if there's I mean, if there's an anchor at the back end of that defense, he's absolutely that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great player. Great player. Well, so uh, season's about to start up. Uh, what do you guys have going on at uh, Wide Right Natty Light? So, well, I mean, we'll have uh, next over the next few weeks, we'll have our season previews and all that. Right now we're doing our few pieces on like the on the top 50 greatest Cyclone players of all time. Um. But as we get into closer to the season, we have a, a live. We actually do a live tailgate show, um, so basically a, a live podcast essentially, where we bring out mics and we do kind of our own little radio version of college game day. But we, you know, <laughs> nice. we, yeah, I mean we're we're we we started last year and we had a great time with it. It was we we had it was a very successful. Um, we had lots of good feedback from it, and we're gonna, we're excited to continue to do that. So I guess if any any. Uh, I guess you guys won't be coming up here this year, but um, you know, next time any Sooner fans are up there, you know, definitely you can stop by our tailgate and 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 just have a beer with us. And if you you know maybe be on the show or something like that, and we do we do fun games and things like that. And then you know uh, we're looking forward to because this is the first year probably ever that we've had a pretty good case that we might be on College Game Day, and that might become names too. So that'll be. If they yeah. come for the Apple game, that's going to be something else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, uh, you know, Iowa State fans are some of my favorites in the Big 12. So, you know, uh, I, I got to get up to Ames, I think, I feel like, for a game, hopefully. So uh, maybe I'll be able to drop by your uh, your show and uh, check out what you guys are doing. Absolutely. You're, you can come on anytime you want. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. 
All right. Well, thanks again, Levi. I really do appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Levi Stevenson of uh, Wide Right Natty Light. Make sure to check them out for all your uh, Iowa State news and information. And uh, again, please uh, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review if you're so inclined. And, uh, you know, let us know. uh, Give us any feedback you got on the show. So thanks again to uh, Levi Stevenson. Thanks to you all for joining us, too. Uh, For the Wayne Horizon Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. Take it easy.